0: Four kids, as he said, and they're all doing well, and they are growing fast. Uh, I get passionate about sports. Um, I, I was at a conference all day yesterday in Buffalo at the Faith Fellowship Church, and the man who is the pastor of that church was a goalie for the Philadelphia Flyers for ten seasons, and then he coached for five years, and then got called into the pastorate. He is an outstanding Bible teacher. Bob Froze is his name. And uh, he pulled me aside and just introduced me to all, the, all of the people that were there. And he made the comment, he goes, I really like this guy because he does the sports on Family Life. And Bob obviously is still into the sports. I do get passionate about sports. I, I, I think there's much to learn from that. I love watching my kids play in sports. I also love the Word of God. It is an honor and sometimes a very scary privilege to take the word and to try to teach it to others. Um, There are different passages in the Bible where the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that he is concerned that not so much that he doesn't look bad, but that he doesn't really mess up what God is trying to say through his word. It's an awesome responsibility, and uh, I've prayed over this message, and I've studied over this, and uh, Lord willing, um, I'm not going to embarrass our Savior this morning. 2 Timothy chapter four. Let's let's start at verse one. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We're going to focus on these next few verses. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. I worked in Kansas City with Youth for Christ several years ago, and as I was going over this particular passage my mind went back to a particular moment where I had the opportunity my immediate supervisor and I had the opportunity to debate a homosexual minister on live closed-circuit television in the greater Kansas City area and it was really interesting after meeting this guy and talking with him and actually debating him and and when you look at the actual tape of the debate Mike, my partner, and I, I, I think we really fried the guy as far as the whole issue. I mean, He was trying to say the Bible says it's perfectly permissible to live this lifestyle. And where he gets that, it was amazing how he took Scripture and, and tried to twist it. But it was interesting, afterwards, I got talking with this guy, and I said, so you are a pastor. He said, yes, I am. And your church is in Kansas City? He goes, yep, it's the Metropolitan Baptist Church. I said, how many people attend your church? He looked at me, he goes, we started very small, but we've grown. I said, well, okay, how many? He said, we have over a thousand people attending now. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. I didn't say this to him, I'm thinking this. You've got to be kidding me. And it made me think of this passage. People surrounding themselves with teachers who will tell them what they want to hear so they can continue to live their particular lifestyle. So they, continue, they can continue to feel good about doing whatever it is they're doing. And Paul is telling Timothy, this time is coming. And I looked at that and I thought, man, maybe we are here already. But then he goes on in verse 4. He says, They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Two times Paul uses the word turn, but they are very different turnings. And I want to I explain this to you. In this first turning, what you need to understand in the original language, it is in the active voice. Basically what that means is, You make the choice individually to turn from the truth. It is something you yourself do. It's in the active voice. You say, no to God, I want to do something else. The second turning is in the passive voice. And what that means is it's done by an outside influence or force. It's actually a medical term. And it literally means a dislocation of the limbs. I I remember in high school watching my alma mater playing a baseball game, and the very last out of the game... The, there was a ground ball to the shortstop. His throw pulled the first baseman off the bag uh, towards the home plate side, and he had to make one of those sweeping tags as the runner was going by, and he got him out. But in the process of doing that, the runner hit his glove and jammed his hand. And when he held his hand up straight like that, his pointer finger was sticking straight up. And it was one of the grossest, like, ee, <laughs> And he's coming over, coach, 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 and and we're all like, and I remember the coach looking at him and goes, "Stowe, you got to put it back in yourself, man. I can't do it." And he just grabbed it and (laughs) popped it back in, and like, yeah. But when you have a dislocated joint, wherever that is on your body, it pretty much renders that part of your body useless. He couldn't do anything with that hand. He's like, I mean. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy in the second turning. Uh, he's saying if you choose to say no to the truth, you make that first turn, then you are leaving yourself completely wide open and exposed and vulnerable to be wrenched out of joint spiritually by an outside force. You choose to disobey your mom or dad, young person. You make that choice to make that first turning. Be careful because you've just given the enemy an opportunity to come in and take you down a road that you ought not go down. We adults, a number of ways I could go here, but a number of things you could talk about, but let's talk about your attitude. You have a bitter attitude. You, you, or maybe you're angry. I, I, I don't know if you're following this story. I saw this morning on the news a story about this woman who is is just full of hatred for the this neighbor lady and her granddaughter. The granddaughter has a terminal illness. The granddaughter is going to die, and this woman is making fun of her, actually posting things on the internet, bad pictures, and just and and they came and interviewed this woman. And the interviewer said to her, I don't get this. What do you hope to get out of doing this to this girl who's going to die? And she just looked at the interviewer and she said, personal satisfaction. And I thought, holy cow, there's someone who's angry. There's someone who has a really lousy attitude. And when we allow something like that, we, not allow, we choose to do something like that in our own lives. Look out you've made the first turn and you've left yourself left yourself wide open to maybe start doing something you'll later regret in life notice though about this these two turns the influence of the enemy does not occur until after i choose To make the first turn. So, in other words, if I say no to God, I choose to disobey His word, it will make me vision impaired, judgment impaired, hearing impaired, things that normally I would consider to be wrong or bad, or I think I will never, ever, ever do that, begin to take on a brand new appearance. A good friend of mine, when I was a teenager, Christian guy. I was talking with him one day and he was telling me a movie he was going to go see. And I hadn't seen the movie, but I knew about the movie. And I remember looking at him and I said his name and I said, doesn't that movie have a lot of skin in it? And I'll never forget this as long as I live. He looked at me, he goes, yeah, but I can handle that now. I thought, whoa. You start to think, maybe that's not so bad after all. And when we get to that point, the Bible says, we'll start to believe fables. We'll start to believe anything that comes our way. Biblical example of that. Keep your place in in Timothy. We're going to come back to it. But flip over into the Old Testament, the book of Judges. Judges chapter 14. You know this guy. Real familiar guy. Samson, Judges chapter 14, let's pick it up at uh, verse 5. Maybe you didn't realize this about Samson, I don't know, but we we are pretty familiar with this guy. Judges 14.5, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. It was a sw- in it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now, Samson was a Nazarite by birth, and you probably know this. Uh, they had three vows that they were to keep for their entire life. Number one, they were not to drink any wine. Number two, they were never to touch any unclean thing. And number three, the one we usually remember because of Delilah, they were never to get their hair cut. The three vows, as a Nazarite, they were to keep for life. In verse 5, we read that Samson, along with his parents, go down to a vineyard. Obviously, his parents continue on or, or go somewhere else because they do not see this whole event and incident with the lion attacking Samson. My first question when I looked at this was, why did Samson stay in the vineyard? Why didn't he continue on with mom and dad? And I started to wonder, did he break the first vow? The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible does tell us he obviously broke the second vow. Not to touch anything unclean. Verse uh, 8 tells us that. 8 and 9. You probably know about the third vow. Delilah cut his hair and you know how Samson's life ended. But before we get to the end of his life, I want you to notice something. After Samson makes this first turn, he breaks that second vow. Maybe he broke the first, we don't know. I have a tendency to think maybe he did, but that's neither here nor there. We know he broke the one vow. Don't touch any unclean thing. After he chose to make that first turn. Look at his life. It is a disaster. I mean, you start following and reading along and we won't take the time to do it. But he gets cocky. He gets arrogant. Thinks he can outsmart people. Then he messes up morally. He starts sleeping with prostitutes. He marries a woman he shouldn't have married. And his whole life is a train wreck after making that first turn. Back to Timothy. I think what Paul is trying to say to Timothy is, yes, there's going to be a falling away from the truth. That's coming. People are going to reject the truth. And when that happens, it's hunting season for the enemy. He will cause people to become so impaired with how they look at things. Uh, Those of us who are trying to live a life of obedience to Christ are going to look at some of these people and think, what are they thinking? How could they even believe this? This came true not too long ago. I don't know if you follow this story or not. Back in June in Batavia, New York. This story ended up hitting the national news. A guy and a girl were caught committing adultery in a public park in the presence of small kids. And I'm reading that. you got to be kidding me. What are they thinking? Well, that's not the end of the story. I say it hit the national news wires. People began to respond to this whole incident because what happened in New York State, there's still a law in the books that says if you commit adultery, you can be arrested. And the cops threw the book at them. They arrested this couple, threw them in jail. This is what really, really, I just, I was incredulous. 82% of the public who responded to the story that the police arrested this couple for committing adultery were mad. They said, this is not the man and the woman's fault, it's the police's fault. They should have never arrested them for something like adultery. For crying out loud, this is America, not Dubai. I looked at it and I thought, you got to be kidding me. Things that once looked wrong. You start looking at it in a different way. When you make that first turn. Paul is obviously concerned that Timothy not do that. So we come to verse 5 and he tells Timothy, But you keep your head in all situations. Some translations say, "Be sober," and basically what what he 's trying to get across to Timothy is "You be on your guard don 't let something creep into your heart and into your life that causes you to start thinking the wrong way. continually be on the watch, I'm speaking at a camp in the upper peninsula. I remember it was 13 years ago because it was right before my third son was born. And a big church from Grand Rapids, Michigan, their youth group, their senior high youth group, uh, a third of them had won this week. It was kind of a rewards week for them. We did rock climbing, rappelling, uh, whitewater rafting. It was a fun week, and I was thrilled that I was asked to be the speaker because I got to do all of that stuff too. But when I got to the camp, and I got there before they all bust up from from Grand Rapids, and I flew into some uh, Iron Mountain, I think it was. I mean, it's the middle of nowhere, up in the Upper Peninsula. There's just not a lot there. I get to the camp, and the kids and the the youth leaders and everyone they start arriving. And one of the youth leaders pulled me aside, and he said to me, he said, "I got to tell you something before you get going this week." I said, "Okay, what?" And he pointed out a guy and a girl in the youth group. He goes, you see that boy right there? And I said, yeah. And he said, you see that girl over there? And I said, yeah. He goes, they're brother and sister. I said, okay. He goes, their last name is DeVos. And in my mind, I'm thinking, DeVos, I know that name. Why do I know that name? And he says to me, do you recognize that name? I said, something tells me I should, but I'm not putting it together. He goes, well, yeah, you probably will realize it once I tell you. Their grandfather is a dude who started Amway. Their father right now is the president of the company. Mega million, million upon millions of dollars in this family. He said, what you need to understand is that guy and that girl both have full-time bodyguards and they are here now. He said, you will not see them this week. But believe you me, they will see you. So don't do anything stupid. (laughs) Yes, sir. I didn't see them the whole week, but they were there, and around the clock, 24-7, they were watching these two kids. This is the idea Paul's trying to get across to Timothy. Continually be on your guard. Not only keep your head in all situations or be sober, but he says endure hardship. Man, difficult times come, and they will. That's that's a fact of life. Weather the storm. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. You keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Don't let something come into your life to sidetrack you. I had to chuckle this morning as I pulled in because I told her this. I saw Linda Robbins walking in, and I thought, oh, Linda's here. And I said, Linda, I'm going to talk about your boy this morning. She goes, oh, no, you're going to tell the swimming story. I said, yes, I am. Went to a swim meet a few years ago at Bath, and Bath hosts this thing. It's called the Fab Four Invitational. And they invite really the big schools, the elite schools from Rochester come down. In fact, during the meet, one kid from Rochester qualified for the U.S. Olympic Trials. I mean, outstanding swimmers, uh, the Pittsford Menden and the Arundicoid schools. But i got to tell you, the most impressive swim of the day, as far as I was concerned, was turned in by Sam Robbins. And some of you know Sam. Not because he was the fastest. No, no. I've never seen this happen before. <clears throat> He's up for his heat in, uh, I think it was the 100-meter freestyle and everyone else is up on the blocks a starter sounded the horn they dove in when somebody leaves too soon it's a false start they will sound the horn again they did that everybody heard it except for Sam and Sam is in the water and he knows he's going against guys who are blistering fast. So he wants to not be embarrassed. He's like I mean he's focused. I'm gonna do my best swim and I mean he is going and go. And everybody, and there are there are a couple hundred, maybe two, three hundred people in that because that, it was a big knee, it was a big deal. And people are yelling, Stop! Stop! And Sam doesn't hear him. He keeps swimming, got to the first turn, did his flip turn, he's coming back. One of his coaches had the, 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 the pool at Bath has a wire that goes across like kind of the middle of the pool. Has the wire dropped down in front of him to stop him because he obviously isn't hearing it. He swam over top of the wire and kept going. <laughs> People in the in the audience are starting to laugh. I mean they're like, Whoa, look at that guy. You know, he got to the second turn, his first lap was done, did a flip turn, he's going flip turn, he's going back, and people now are starting to yeah, they're starting to cheer for him. <laughs> well, the coaches, knowing that he's gonna have to redo the swim because they're gonna have to start this whole thing over, are still trying to get him to stop. Finally, one of the coaches grabbed one of the lifeguards' flotation device, took it out there, and he threw it and he hit. Sam in the head and he kept swimming. (laughs) And now everybody's up cheering, go, go, go. And as he got to the final, probably, I want to say 25 yards, it hit him that nobody else was in the pool. (laughs) And it kind of picks his head up out of the water, and people are cheering. And he gets this sheepish look on his face like, oh man, what did I just do? I love that illustration because I think it gets to the crux of what Paul's telling Timothy. When tough times come, maybe something or someone tries to get you to stop. You don't stop. You keep doing what you know you're supposed to do. Don't turn from the truth. Don't listen to the fables. Don't expose yourself to to the enemy's attack by saying, you know what? I'm going to say no, no to God in this particular area. Endure hardship. And then Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. I kind of smile at that because I think that scares people or allows us to adopt the mindset that, well, I don't have a Bible degree and I haven't been trained to, to speak publicly. That's not what Paul's saying here. Just give them the gospel. Steer people to Christ. And that can be done a number of ways. I, I, I work with Family Life. And as Mike said, I get to travel around and visit a lot of people, a lot of pastors. I was talking with a gentleman probably a month and a half ago. He goes, I've got to tell you my story. I said, what's your story? He goes, your ministry is what really was instrumental in me coming to Christ. I said, that's awesome. He goes, no, but what you need to understand is the whole thing that got it going was because someone had your bumper sticker on the back of their car. And I looked at him and said, you're kidding me. He goes, nope. He says, I'm driving down the highway, and I saw a family life bumper sticker. And he said, I looked at that, and he he said, I thought to myself, I wonder what that is. he said, I saw the frequency, and I turned turned to it. He goes, and I turned to it more than once. And I kept listening, and, and, and he said, the Bible came alive. I thought, wow. There's someone who was doing the work of an evangelist just by sticking a bumper sticker on their car. You might not have the the speaking ability, but hey, you can talk. And if you know how you got saved, and I trust that you do, if you don't, then you might want to question whether or not you're a child of God. You know how you came to Christ? Talk about it. My next door neighbor, not a believer. Um, have, I've had opportunities to talk with the man and he kind of smiles and uh, you know you wonder what's going through his head because he doesn't say a whole lot about it but uh, after our share got over I don't know if he listened and I found out he probably didn't because I was talking with him I told him how much was raised and he just went wow I said Neil God spoke to the hearts of people and looked at me didn't He didn't know what to say. And I, I kind of smiled inside because I know he's thinking, how do I come back to that? Uh, what do I say? And he goes, well, I'm just glad you, you did really well. I said, well, we're thanking the Lord. He said, okay. Little thing, little thing, but you just bring in the subject of Christ and the Lord and what he's doing in your life into the conversation. Sooner or later, that person. Well, those people you're talking to, they're going to maybe throw up their arms and say, okay, what is this deal with? You keep talking about him like he's a person, like he's real. Do the work of an evangelist. Just live the way Christ tells us to live. And then he says, discharge all the duties of your ministry. A little three-letter word, all. That's key right there. You don't do the work for Christ half-heartedly. You pour forth your best effort. Give it your best. Do your best. I remember coming across this article a few years ago now. And uh, bear with me. told you I like sports this is another sports story but I remember this because as a kid I remember this guy in 1968 at the Mexico Olympic Games I didn't remember so much that it was kind of the end of his career guy threw the discus for America named Al Order did something no American had ever done before It has been matched since, but up to that point no one had ever done it before. He won four gold medals in four successive Olympics in the discus throw. He won it in 56 when he was 20 years old in Melbourne, Australia. Then he won it in Rome in 1960, in Tokyo in 1964, and then in Mexico City in 1968. Ironically enough, he was never the favorite in either one or any of those games. Somebody else coming into the games always held the world record besides him. So he was never favored to win, and he won all of them. But the one I want to call to your attention, and the one that this article is about, is uh, the 1964 games in Tokyo. Uh, he came into the games really banged up. Hurt, injured, injured. Um, Orders' biggest setbacks were injuries, beginning with a pinched nerve in his neck that forced him to miss all but three meets in 1963. He said, every time I threw, I felt pain. It became a mental block. Early in 64, before the actual games began in San Jose, he was at a meet. He had to take an injection a cortisone, had an ultrasonic massage. He wore a ski jacket over a turtleneck sweater and some, some bandages that were supposedly helping to support just his, his rib cage. Thus fortified, he became the first person to throw more than 200 feet. But then, he, six months later, he shows up in Tokyo wearing a surgical collar. Six days before the competition, he tore cartilage in the right side of his lower rib cage. Doctors ordered six weeks of rest. Order said he considered dropping out of the Olympics because he did not want to embarrass himself. But he finally decided, you know what, I'm I'm here, let's give it a shot. He took heat treatment, more massages, enzymes to clear up blood clots. On the day of the prelims, he was wrapped in surgical tape from his chest to his tailbone. He was fed pain-killing drugs, wrapped in ice. When he finally went out to throw, he kept most of that stuff on because he didn't think he'd be able to walk to the circle where he was going to do the throw. With his first throw, his games almost ended. He doubled up in pain, collapsed, he considered quitting again, but he hung in there and he qualified for the finals by throwing 198 feet, 7 inches. In the finals, with two throws to go, he was in third place behind a a dude from Czechoslovakia. He was the world record holder and another American. The distance to beat was 198 feet, 7 inches. Order said I was using a slow spin trying to stretch the tendons, and his whole idea was to build gradually to an all out final effort. But on his fifth throw, you get six, he hit it just right, and the discus sailed 200 feet one inch, and it set a new Olympic record. The other two guys failed to match it. Order passed on his final throw happily. After the event, after the contest, reporters pulled him aside, and they marveled at his ability to compete with such pain, and they asked him how he could do it. And this was his response. These are the Olympics. You die for them. This is the Son of God we're talking about. This is the one of whom we sang about that went to the cross and took our pain. Do you put as much stock in serving Him as what this athlete did in trying to win a gold medal in the Olympic Games? These are the Olympics. You die for them talking about not falling away. Paul tells Timothy, do not be guilty of making that first turn. Because if you take that step, you've exposed yourself to where the enemy can come in and so mess with your life and get you off track and cause you to do something you are ashamed of later in life don't make that first turning. you do what Paul told Timothy to do. You be sober, you be on your guard you you continually be checking your heart and careful with that because the heart's deceitful above all else. it will fool you, it will trick you but continually do that spiritual inventory, am I still going down the right road or have I been sidetracked? Do everything within your power to stay the course, to keep on keeping on. Would to God that none of us would be numbered in this group Paul says a time is coming when many will not endure sound doctrine. This is Jesus Christ. You die for him. Father, I thank you for your word.